The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. What if you could see the future, predict the future, and act on the future before the future ever happened? Well, we have somebody with us today that can do exactly that, and a million people follow him on LinkedIn looking for his advice. Dan Burris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Glad to uh, to have you. So is it really true? Can you see the future? I mean, is there something different about you than the rest of us? Uh, oh, yeah, I can. But what I'm excited about is I love teaching you how to do it. If okay, well, let's, uh, the future, let's, we're not going to have a happy, happy planet here. <laughs> so, what, so what is it that you predict the future? Does that mean you know what the stock market's going to be tomorrow? I mean, is there something magical or what, what is it about? Well, you know, before uh, starting these six companies that I started, I taught biology and physics. So I'm really a science research guy. And uh, matter of fact, if you go back to my really ancient times when I was uh, an undergraduate, I was the first to direct a federal research grant. Now, I'm not saying that to say, wow, I'm saying that to let you know I use a scientific approach. So rather than crystal balls and guessing as to what will happen and being a good guesser, which is hard to do, uh, what I've done is developed a scientific approach that is currently being used by the Pentagon. It's being used by the Googles and the IBMs and others to create uh, amazing disruptive opportunities and, uh, and strategies. And it's based on, now to give you your answer, uh, all trends can be separated into two categories, if you really want to get right down to it right away. So let me start teaching right now. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Yeah. Let's just get right into it. Yeah, uh, there, let's get into short, it. And all of our listeners wanted to get the meat right away. So let's start delivering it. So there's no shortage of trends. Uh, the problem is which ones are going to happen, which ones aren't. And secondly, when? And I've really been able to knock that one uh, very powerfully. So all trends fit into one of two categories. I call them either hard trends or soft trends. Hard trends are based on future facts. They will happen. And if you're Google or Apple with all the money in the world or Amazon, no matter what, you cannot stop them. Now, the good news is, using what I'm going to talk about in our interview today and what I write and speak about, is that you can see those ahead of time. Because today, you're either going to be the disruptor or the disruptor. There's no longer a middle. And by the way, if you think to yourself, you're a middle market CEO and you say, yeah, I was disrupted last year. Glad I got that out of the way. <laughs> well, we're both laughing because you don't have it out of the way. It's like an ocean with many tides coming in. 
and uh, and many waves hitting the shore. But, you know, the farther you look out, the more you can see the waves coming way before they ever hit the shore. And what I'm doing is giving you the ability to look way out and see the bigger waves from the smaller waves and see them way out there. What that does is it allows you to turn disruption and change into a choice. Uh, every disruption that ever happened was there to see if you knew where and how to look. And if you look at, again, I've written six uh, best-selling books. Let's take a look at uh, Technotrends. There's a little, that was a 93 book. Uh, if you look at that, there's a little section called Blockbuster is Busted. And if you read that little part in that 93 book right after it, you'll hear me talking about streaming video and uh, how it will be done today. And I put a time frame on it that was accurate as well. And you would see social media and you would see smartphones. That was in 93 with accurate time frames. So instead of me being the only guy that can do this, no, that's uh, what I want to do is to help you to do it. So there's hard trends, and we'll get into a little bit more on that in a minute. I'm sure you'll ask me some questions about that. Well, I, want, I, want to, I want to first understand what is, a, you mentioned the word hard trends, but what is, what is a hard trend that is absolutely certainly going to happen? What does that mean? All right. Well, um, we've got... Uh, 3G wireless, then we got 4G wireless, and we all have been reading about 5G wireless that's just now starting to, to hit, right? Is that it? Well, there's probably going to be a six, wouldn't you think? Well, do you? is it a probably? It's probably a certainty, yeah. yeah it's a certainty. Yeah. See, now, when it was 1G, because I've been doing this for 35 years, I was saying, all right, so here's 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, 6G, 7G, 8G, and exactly when they'll happen and exactly how powerful they'll be, and I've been right all the way along. You can do this. We're going to talk about this today, all right, because if you know what's going to happen before it happens, you have a huge advantage. By the way, we just brought up the subject, or I brought it up, of uh, 5G. Let me just take a little aside here from myself and just say... uh, when 4G came out, when we went from 3G to 4G, what did that bring us? And that is it brought us billion-dollar companies that couldn't have existed before 4G. You weren't streaming on your phone. You weren't streaming on your iPad. 4G couldn't do that, or 3G couldn't do that. We didn't have Uber. We didn't have a lot of things that depend on 4G speeds. Right. So in other words, there were billion dollar companies that could not exist until 4G came out. Now here, now let's be futurist. Now let's learn what I'm teaching you. And that is 5G is going to present and it's starting to already right now. The opportunity to create billion dollar, not million, B with a billion dollar companies that couldn't exist under the current 4G. And you'll be reading about them one, two, and three years from now, and you'll be saying, wow. And I'm saying, why don't you create one of those? Why don't you be one of those? Uh, or you can just wait and see what happens with 5G. You see, my uh, let me just get down to what I'm really excited about for 35 years. I don't want people to be passive receivers of the future with a wait-and-see attitude, relying on agility as their only defense against uh, all of the rapid changes coming our way because agility is responding quickly after a change occurs, after a disruption takes place. So agile innovation, agile everything else is good, but it is a reactive strategy. It's a fast reactive strategy. But with change taking place at an exponential rate, meaning we're not going slowly forward, 
technology is driving it at a curve that's looking like this. I mean, it's going up fast, like a hockey stick going up. Uh, that means agility has increasingly less value every year. You need another strategy. And that's actually why I wrote uh, the anticipatory organization in my last uh, book. And that is, I want you to not just be agile, which is a good thing, and uh, but I want the other side of the coin for you because there's two sides to this strategy coin. I want you to be anticipatory. And what can you anticipate? Disruptions before they disrupt. So you can have a choice. Change before it happens. So you have a choice. And better yet, problems before you have them so you can pre-solve them. Most of us wait until we have the problem. Yet how many people listening to this have said, well, I knew that was going to happen. And I'm saying, so why did you let it? We can pre-solve problems, and we need to be doing that at a personal level and a business level. Go for it. Now, look, so 99% of people are, uh, they're, we're all receiving, and most of the people are just going to uh, respond at best if they even respond because they, uh, they're not agile, they're not, they're not uh, predictive, uh, they're not anticipatory, they, they just, they just kind of sit there. But the people who listen to this program are mostly executive people who have the means and have the ability, have the educational training, they have teams, they have resources, they have the ability to actually make changes and do the kinds of things. My experience is that it starts with questions. There's, there's questions that people ask that lead, lead them down a path. Like you said, what's coming after 5G? That's a question. And questions, good questions produce good answers. What are some questions that people who want to look forward in time should be asking to make good decisions? Well, uh, better questions do give you better answers. Absolutely. And most people ask lower level questions, lower level in what would be called the cognitive domain, meaning they, uh, they're kind of like asking you for a fact rather than giving you a creative solution, which is a higher thought process. So we need higher level questions to get higher level answers. And let uh, I'm going to give you the specific answer to that, but I got to tell you the other type of trend so that I can tell you a great question to be asking. Okay. So let me just get that other side because I said there are two types. And again, instead of saying Dan Burris is the only guy with good trends, everyone else is worthless. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying you can take any trend by anybody and separated into one of these two categories. So I mentioned hard trends based on future facts. And there which, are some- You said those are certainties. Those are certainties, absolutely. And by the way, personal and business strategy based on uncertainty has high risk. On the other hand, business and personal strategy based on certainty has low risk and high reward. So certainty is a powerful tool here. The other kind of trend is a soft trend. And that's based on an assumption about the future that is often seen as a future fact, but it carries much more risk and it changes how you innovate. And before we go any further, let me just say, I love both hard trends and soft trends. I love them both. Why? Uh, well, I can't change a hard trend, but I can see it coming before it happens. That allows me to use disruption and change as a competitive weapon. Um, I love soft trends. Why? Because if I don't like them, I can change them. <laughs> I love being able to change them. And there's a lot. Uh, so let's just give you a quick example. And then I'm going to come back to your question because we had a really good one. What question would I ask? So I haven't forgot that. 
So let's uh, let's just give you an example of a um, of hard or soft, and we'll do a little test right now. And that is, uh, let's talk about uh, the rising healthcare costs that we have in the United States. It's been going up, 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 up quite significantly every year for well over a decade. And of course, we call that a trend. Now, the question is, is that a hard trend, which means it's a future fact that will continue to go up, it is unstoppable, or is it a soft trend? If you don't like it, you could change it. We've just, be I've just begun to teach you this. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Sorry about that. Is that a hard trend future fact? Nobody can change. We're just going to get higher healthcare costs. Or is that a soft trend? Don't like it. You can change it. What do you think? I'm going with soft. And you are absolutely right because you're a strategic thinker, by the way. And uh, now, right now in government, most people think that's a hard trend. It's unstoppable. So healthcare reform, and by the way, this is not a Republican or Democrat comment, healthcare reform up till now has really been health payment reform. How are we going to pay for the mess as the baby boomers age and get older and the costs keep going up? But if you realize it's a soft trend, you will sit back and say, wait a minute, how can we lower healthcare costs? By the way, <clears throat> quick example, you could use blockchain and bring that to the healthcare ecosystem, which currently is non-transparent and, uh, uh, and has uh, uh, not a lot of trust, and bring transparency, which means you bring competition, and, uh, and more trust and security, by the way, and you could lower healthcare costs by billions every year. Well, first, first of all, listen, uh, we didn't reform anything. We just reorganized the way that we pay for things. I think well, yeah, it didn't give you a better knee at all. <laughs> no, yeah. we, we didn't reform anything. I mean, you know, and there are technologies like blockchain uh, that can do more things faster. But there's a lot of infrastructure and people that are fighting the infrastructure because they stand to lose. So every time there's innovation, uh, somebody's on the winning side, somebody's on the losing side. And yes. that's the, and, and when you have politics involved and there are people that can get in the way of the trend, part of that assumption is that there are people who are going to try to push it back as far as they can. Listen, there were people that worked in toll booths in New York that didn't want to give up toll booths and eventually uh, the electronics won and there's no more toll booths, right? And that's exactly why I'm so excited about the process that I'm teaching people because I have actually converted people and companies and organizations and even some government agencies to embrace uh, the new by this methodology. Because you see, if the future is all up for grabs and there is no certainty, which is what most people think, and I'll tell you right now, every person you will talk to will say, other than death and taxes, there's no way to predict the future and be right. It's all up for grabs, which is totally not true at all. For example, in March 2050, do we know, can a scientist tell you right now, an astronomer, the exact day in March 25th, you were going to have a full moon? Yeah, they can nail it. Yep. And uh, we know stocks go up. You've been in that, involved in that. Uh, is it going to go up forever? No, it'll go down. By the way, will it go down forever? No, it's going to go back up. That's because there are cycles. And we have over 500 known cycles that exist right now. I, I've been tracking 500 of them. But that's only one way to look at change. What I'm bringing is this other way that changes how people think and gets them to realize whether they're, whether they're protecting the wrong thing. It's really about mindset. And, uh, and that is bringing the element of certainty in a world that seems to be nothing but uncertain. So um, most people have a protect and defend mindset. 
as you said. By the way, it didn't work too good for uh, Kodak, didn't work too good for, for Dell, Hewlett-Packard, uh, Sony, and uh, much of others. That it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work for anyone. It just delays the inevitable. It delays the inevitable. But if you don't know what the inevitable is, you keep delaying it. And what I'm doing is saying, actually, you can see the inevitable. And if you can actually decide and see clearly without debate whether you're on the part that is going to happen versus the part that may or may not happen, what that does is it helps you to see, well, how long are we going to be losing? But aren't there people who would say, uh, that's just like a lay down. Well, I don't want to just lay down and just take it. I'm going to fight for what matters to me and try to keep it going my way. Is well, really, are things really inevitable or, or you know? Well, um, what, uh, what they do is they're wanting to fight. And instead of fighting to protect and defend the past, which is being rendered quickly obsolete and a losing battle, I do want them to fight. I want them to take that exact energy that you're talking about and devote it to not protecting and defending, but to embrace and extend embrace the hard trends that are indeed going to happen. And by the way, if you don't do it, someone else will. Yeah. And extend the reach. You see, I just stated a principle that I share that I want to restate because it's important when it comes to uh, hard trends. Uh, if it can be done, it will be done. It's a hard trend. And if you don't do it, someone else will. And what I'm doing is I'm taking risk and flipping it. Because let's say you're going, you're the CEO or you're the CMO, chief marketing officer, or you're the CIO in a mid-sized company, and you're going uh, to the CFO to get money. And uh, you're going to say to the CFO and the CEO, here's what I want to do, here's what it's going to cost, and, uh, and I want that money. And you, of course, may or may not get it. You're going to give your opinion about why you should. And of course, when somebody states their opinion, what do I want? I want another opinion. So what I'm suggesting is we're going to do something different. And by the way, this works. Number one, we're going to go in and say, here are the hard trends that are shaping the future. And by the way, there's a way to get people listening to buy into them immediately because they're not that hard. We'll talk more about that in a minute if you want to. But trust me, you can. And when you say, so these are the hard trends. And here is how I want us. And here's all my plans around getting that money you're going to give me so that we can ride that wave forward and profit better. And But before we go any further, and this is the part that most people don't do, here is the cost of the no. So if you don't give me the money, and we know these things are going to happen anyway, and we know if we don't do it, our competitors will, because if it can be done, it will be done. If we don't, someone else will. Let me talk about the true cost of the no before you give me a yes or no. And I'm going to talk to you about the cost of uh, loss of competitive advantage, loss of market share, and all those other things. And then when you compare the cost of the no to the cost of the yes, you know what you're going to find? Uh, you're going to get a yes. And I can't tell you, you know, I've got a couple of million uh, monthly blog readers, not to mention uh, over a million on LinkedIn and others. And I get emails all the time <clears throat> telling me, wow, just that cost of the no is worth a fortune. Thank you. So I just gave here's everyone listening to this a big one. Here's what's interesting, though, is that accounting does not track the cost of the no. It only tracks the cost of the yes. The cost of the no is an economic concept, which I, by the way, agree with you. 
But the shortcoming of our accounting system is that it doesn't track lost sales. It doesn't track lost opportunities. It doesn't track anything that doesn't really happen. And so that's part of what uh, management struggle with in, in their assessment is that the accounting systems that we have currently do not track one of the most important components of decision making. You're absolutely right. And by the way, that's why I, uh, you know, I, I think you know that a couple of years back, I launched the Anticipatory Organization uh, Learning System for Organizations and Leaders. And the reason uh, I've got a accounting and finance version of that uh, that is being used by accounting firms right now, and that is to redefine what accounting is, because right now accountants are historical. And frankly, the reality is, as I look at the hard trends going forward, we're going to automate their functions with AI. We don't need them anymore. At least we don't need the old version of them. So but we, if we it don't need some of it, right, for sure. Yeah, we need a little bit. Yeah. But we surely don't need all that. But if indeed uh, they're using AI and other technologies to automate the audit and to automate uh, doing real-time tax and, and auditing as they go forward, uh, what do we need accountants for? And what do we need that auditing for? And that is a new generation of that that is taking that historical information and then projecting it forward using the hard trends that are shaping the future to be able to give a sound financial uh, guidance going forward. In other words, they're going to be more consultative. So, so I've already got a couple of key accounting firms, just to finish this up since you brought up accounting, that have embraced this. And they are grabbing market share like crazy. And a matter of fact, there's an article coming out in Accounting Today this next month for those that are interested, reading about some of the organizations that have become anticipatory and are using these hard trends and are really gaining market share. So even accounting, which you would think, surely they're not going to be anticipatory. I agree. But, hey, they're important. So I didn't ignore them. I went for them as well. Just for, just for clarification, um, AI is a hard trend. I mean, it's, it's increasing. It's absolutely increasing. And it's certainly, we know for sure it's going to get more and more. Is that, is that right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, AI was, when I put out my list of uh, 20 core technologies in 1983 that would drive exponential change for decades to come, AI was on that list. By the way, so was digital in the cloud. It was, that was an 83 list that's held up over decades. So, uh, and it was ex going up at an exponential rate. Well, remember in 83, exponential was here, you know, it was low uh, at the bottom end of the hockey stick, but yet it was there to see. And I was just in a meeting on um, with, uh, I don't know if most people know who DARPA is, but DARPA is the uh, defense uh, research arm of the Department of Defense with billions of dollars to help uh, look at in next gen uh, national defense. And uh, as an advisor to them, and I'm also an advisor to the Joint Chiefs and the DOD, and I had a meeting in D.C. just recently with all of the top people on AI, from two uh, defense contractors, DARPA, and uh, uh, the Department of Defense. And um, so I am working at that level with AI, as well as with other companies on AI. And I can tell you right now, uh, last year, was it a year and a half ago, I was a speaker at the CIO 100 uh, National Annual Awards, uh, where they have awards for CIOs doing the most innovative things. And it's amazing how much AI was part of that, uh, of actually getting results. 
So even though we're at the beginning phases of AI to some degree, you can get amazing results even today. And it's increasing at an exponential rate. But since you brought up AI, let me give you one thing everybody's worrying about that I want to, it won't take long, but let me just interject this. Um, uh, a lot of people think when they look at the future, they believe in either or concept, meaning it's either going to be no AI or full AI. It's going to be all autonomous or no autonomous. It's going to be either this or that, either the past or the future. And that is not a way to be an accurate forecaster. So I teach the both and approach, which is it's AI and humans. It's what I call augmented thinking or symbiotic computing going forward. So I'll give you one quick example that'll nail this concept for you so that we aren't so afraid of AI and uh, what it's doing. And that is uh, right now, um, AI knows more about oncology than any living oncologist. Uh, and that's of course, uh, cancer treatments. Uh, so I'm gonna give you a, a three choices. Let's say you know somebody with cancer, heaven forbid. And um, I'm gonna give you three choices. One, a really great oncologist. Two, just AI. Three, a really good oncologist that has access to AI. That is symbiotic computing. That's yeah. augmented thinking. So really, we're not getting rid of people. What we're doing is augmenting their thinking and their processes with AI. And a lot of people will have to get retrained. But uh, here's what I would say. If you can't teach an old dog a new trick, luckily, hey, we're not dogs. We're <laughs> human beings. And we're infinitely upgradable. The problem is, and I'm gonna, and now this is something I've come to appreciate over the 35 years I've been in business. It's all about mindset. It's all about mindset. Change your mindset, you can change your results. So if your mindset is, I'm, this is all that I can do, this is all that I will ever do, and I don't want to learn anything new, you're going to have a tough life going forward. But if you realize that it doesn't matter about your age, hey, I know old people that are young and young people that are old. The difference is their mindset, not the amount of gray hair you've got. So if you really can embrace learning new things, there's a future for you, no matter what level of job you're in. And well, by the way, we're I, still going to need plumbers, and we're still going to need some electricians. <laughs> hey, I was just talking to the, to the uh, head of the uh, National Association of Electricians, uh, and he said, you know, and, and of course, people would say, well, it's all going to be wireless. And I love his comment. He said, well, you know, it takes a lot of wire to make something wireless. <laughs> and he's exactly right. By the way, that's the both-and concept. Hey, so, you know, so, by the way, uh, the oncology example, the accounting example, they're all the same uh, because AI supplements uh, the human being uh, and being able to do the best job that can be done. And, but what that, it begs the question about retraining people. One of the things that's been bothering me recently is that you know we look at uh, a lot of our economy is based on employment numbers. Uh, we employ 200,000 more people than last month or quarter or whatever it is, and that makes the stock market go higher and people get excited about that. But I, I kind of worry that we're starting to see something as, as computers can process more and more faster and faster. Uh, we are gonna need a lot less of certain kinds of people. Now, the, uh, the senior executive people, we absolutely need these people to digest information and make decisions. But it seems like there's going to be a lot of people, Dan, who don't want the level of, of mindset shift or training that you're talking about. And, and, and that concerns me a lot, that there's going to be a lot of people that if they don't get themselves retrained, 
and, and we tend to be a society that doesn't do things until we're forced to. And people, if they don't look down the pike here, five or 10 years, uh, there are a lot of jobs that will not be done by people. Yeah, well, you can look down the pike one or two years and see there's oh, a lot hey, of one, one or two. You know, well, listen, one or two. Five or two. <laughs> so yeah. once again, um, most people when they look down the pike, all they the pike they don't see very good. It's kind of like driving at night without any lights on, and you know you, it's kind of unknown and you're not sure. But when you can throw bright lights on, as a matter of fact, aircraft landing lights on, and you can look down the road and actually see things you start to see what, first of all, what will happen if you don't learn new things, if you don't change. And instead of it being, well, I can probably milk this for another five or 10 years. I mean, I, I actually talked to somebody who does driver's education saying, yeah, well, I, I got this, I'm in good shape for at least the next 10 years. <laughs> and it, well, well, see, he, was, he didn't know how to look down the future. He couldn't see. So one, again, one of the reasons I'm excited for uh, my heart trend, soft trend methodology that I'm teaching uh, is that it allows you to see. And when you can see, you can also see opportunities. So what I'm doing is trying to not scare people into changing their mindset, but to rather to excite them into changing their mindset without telling them what their new mindset is, should be. So when I talk to uh, CEOs, I was just at a conference in San Francisco speaking, uh, keynoting, uh, and it was several thousand people that were all disrupting financial services. And uh, it was, you know, so it's all smart people, all very tech savvy. And, uh, but yet, you know, in many ways, their mindset has got barriers as well. So instead of me going in and saying, here's what you should think, I didn't do that. I use the hard trend, soft trend methodologies to change how they think without telling them what to think. See, uh, whether you're a mom or a dad or, a, or an executive, you don't have the right to tell your employees what to think. By the way, they're not going to listen anyway. What you want to do is change how they think about opportunity, about their job, about their career, about disruption, and uh, about change. And when you change how they think, uh, then you can get them to you know, they'll, they'll start changing how they act. And I've seen that happen. I've witnessed it from people that have said, you can't change how these people think. And you surely can. I mean, I've, I've accomplished it. It's been done. But again, I don't want to be the only guy that can do this. That's why I'm writing books and writing blogs and getting it out here. And thankfully on your show, because I want to spread the word. Well, listen, what I, to me, one of the most important things that I, that I am taking away from this discussion is asking the question from two different perspectives. What's the cost of success and what's the cost of, of failure? In other words, what's the cost of doing something? What's the cost of not doing something? And by looking at it from the negative perspective, that forces us into a certain uh, direction, a certain trajectory, which is uh, potentially excellent for us. Well, I want to come back to now answering that question you asked me a while back. Sorry about that, but I had to give That's you the right. context to give you the content. And that is... So if someone wants to look at into the future, what is the good question they should ask? And number one is, uh, is it a hard trend or a soft trend? Is it a future, in other words, is this a future fact or is this an assumption that could be changed? And that alone will give you some powerful things. And then there's a second element that is equally important, and this is the only thing that makes a trend worth even bothering with, in my opinion. 
And that is, what is the opportunity? You see, most people will look at trends and come up with a list. And I say, you know, even if it's a hard trend or soft trend, I don't care. So what? Got a lot of baby boomers retiring. By the way, that's a hard trend. And I'm saying, so what? Until you tie it to an opportunity related to that trend you just identified, it doesn't burst into life. So one of the things that I'm doing is teaching people how to burst any trend into life by tying it to an opportunity. And to know the risk of the trend and opportunity and pursuing it, that's where it's good to pursue whether it's a hard trend or a soft trend. Because if you know it's going to happen, it's a future fact, then the risk of not doing it is quite clear and it will be there and very definable, by the way. If it's a soft trend, that's an if or a maybe. Well, that's got different risks to it because that's based on assumptions. And as you might guess, there are researched assumptions. I call those hard assumptions. And there are non-researched assumptions just based on all your past experience. I call that a soft assumption because the world's changed and all your experience has a little less value than it did a couple of years ago. So let's, let's, let's just analyze something just for an example. Driverless cars. Uh, there Perfect. It seems to be like we're going in the direction of driverless cars. Is that hard or soft? Excellent, excellent example. Um, we are, we're going to have more and more autonomous vehicles. Now, when we start seeing, uh, let's take Elon Musk, smart guy when he's not smoking pot on the radio. And uh, uh, so, I like, and he's great, he's brilliant. And he made a comment, a prediction last year saying, and this was in about October or so, he said, by 2025, there will be no car sold globally with a gas pedal or a brake or any kind of, or a steering wheel after 2025. Now, he will be wrong because he's not really totally getting what I'm sharing with you right now. Although I must say I'm very thrilled that he's now starting to retweet my blog. So I'm excited about that. So I guess maybe he's getting the message. But anyway, here's, here's why he will be wrong. First of all, can you imagine Porsche or Lamborghini selling a car with no way to control it? What are they going to do? Tell you it's got nice seats? Forget it. <laughs> Secondly, I have had a Tesla for almost three years now, Model X, which I love, and it can drive itself. But most of the time, I drive it because I like to drive. You know what I don't like? I don't like accidents. And there are times I'd like it to drive itself. So I just did a survey. Remember I mentioned I was in San Francisco and I was speaking to a couple of thousand savvy people? Just for the heck of it, I did a survey. I said, Ford is planning on selling a car with no controls on it within the next couple of years, I think 2021 or 22, uh, and they've already showed what it'll look like. How many of you would buy a car to take down the highway at 70 miles an hour that you can't control? Raise your hand right now. Let me see. And I got zero. I think Ford's in trouble. So what do we really want to do? And that is, number one, we want to get rid of accidents. And currently, the cars systems that we have now, if you have like a new car, it will make the, if you're going to change lanes and you could hit a car, it'll set, make a noise or it'll make the steering wheel vibrate. But the trouble is, us humans know how to not pay attention to those things. So the next version is you can't hit the car. That's really a form of autonomy. Now, you might say, is, is Dan saying we're going to have no autonomous vehicles? And I'm saying, oh, yes, we will. Remember I mentioned, um, I'm going to give you another secret to my long list of accurate predictions that I've had over the years. And that is, ask yourself, where is the ideal? 
Where's the ideal? Instead of, it's all going to be autonomous in a couple of years, ask yourself a better question, because you've said questions, it's all about questions. A better question is, where's the ideal place to put autonomy right now? And it's not a semi going down the road with thousands of gallons of gasoline. Instead, uh, it might be on a campus. Or it, uh, I was just working uh, with a uh, drug company, a large drug company that I consult with, and they've got probably 40 high-rise buildings on this giant campus with a bus that goes around and around and around picking people up, and there's a driver. Perfect place for autonomy. You see where I'm going? You pick where is the ideal place for fully autonomous, and then you start looking at where is the ideal place for semi-autonomous with someone on board. You know, I, you I, I remember in the uh, mid-'80s uh, when computers were just becoming a thing and uh, there was the concept of the killer app. Lotus123 was a killer app. It was such a great app that everybody needed to go buy a computer so they could work Lotus. And then the cost of computers started coming down because everybody started buying them. So that seems like it's kind of what you're describing. The killer app for an autonomous vehicle might be a campus, and then we kind of get used to it. And then we start buying more of them. And the more we buy, the cheaper it gets. And the cheaper it gets, the more we buy, and it goes on and on. And the second element to that, you're right, but there's, but it's also... We're going to be putting, like Musk has done with, uh, with you know, our Teslas and other vehicles, we're going to put full autonomy in there. But the part that I'm suggesting is we're not taking away the steering wheel and the brake if you want to sell it. Not yet, because, because, well, not because yet the human beings, time. Right. The human beings that buy it are used to a certain thing. You can't cut a person over uh, to a new system uh, Overnight, it takes. There's a certain, uh, maybe a generational effect that it's going to take. Well, the second part to that is, you know, that uh, are you going to trust your life at 70 or 80 miles an hour in that vehicle not getting hacked, and uh, and you have no way to take over control? And I think that's another issue that we're going to be having to deal with because even when they say it's hack proof, how many things have been hack proof that have been hacked? Everything. Uh, oh, thank you. So my point is that's another giant one that's even bigger than the one that you just mentioned is trust uh, because zipping along that fast is all about trust. Now, zipping along a lot slower in a city, well, that's a little different. You know, uh, cabs do kind of repetitive types things and things like that. But when it comes to, uh, so that'll get automated and be, uh, become more autonomous. But, uh, but there are other things that won't. And again, uh, big giant trucks. And actually, I worked with Daimler on creating the first autonomous truck. Um, so I've got history with uh, autonomous trucks. Uh, the reality is uh, we're going to want uh, a human on board to make sure that, uh, you know, they're, they're, that because it's too dangerous a vehicle to have it be fully automated for quite a long time. And by the way, who is that human we might on board? We want on board. And that is, it might be a disabled person who, uh, you know, is, uh, can't move his legs and so on because the vehicle can drive itself. But we want a human on there that could take over and steer it. And um, I've got a friend of mine uh, named Sam Schmidt. Google him. He is an Indy 500 driver that uh, was in an accident and became a quadriplegic and raced a Corvette up Pikes Peak recently without it being autonomous at all. He drove it. And he's a quadriplegic. Can't even move his arm. How did he do it? He did it with his helmet by looking left and right and by blowing on a little straws for brakes and gas pedal. He's driven his Corvette over, over 200 miles an hour 
I haven't even driven a car 200 miles an hour and I've got arms and legs. My point is maybe guys like that wearing special helmets could be on those vehicles, giving people jobs that could have never worked before and giving them the dignity of an income. I'm just saying, I think there's a future that's quite bright, but we're going to have to be a lot more creative and use some hard trends to innovate with the low risk that certainty provides. Well, listen, uh, first of all, this show is always about the inside track. And, and what you're talking about, this is the inside track to the future. And this is the way that people profit from the inside, the insights that you bring and the inside information that you bring to the table. And it sounds like there's a lot of people who are going to be uh, you know, coming to the table that maybe couldn't come before. But I also know that with that, there are going to be people who are uh, just going to be unwilling to change and they're going to be left behind. And people need to be open-minded about it. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people in our society are not open-minded about things. They, they don't see the future. They don't believe the future. Uh, they believe maybe I can just hang in there for another five or 10 years and then just kind of bow out gracefully. Um, just let's close on this. What do you think is, is the best way for people to, uh, you know, for us as, as a society and for us as company leaders to help retrain people before it's an emergency? What, what skills do people need that they don't presently have and how do we organize around that? Yeah, well, uh, there's a couple of elements to that. First of all, you're absolutely right. There are people that will not want to learn, want to learn new things, don't want to get retrained. And again, they're going to have a very tough and difficult life going forward. But one thing that I like to do is have a list of things I can do, things I can control, things I am certain about, versus a list of things I can't control that I'm not certain about that I can't do anything about. So I may not be able to change the world. I may not be able to change our country but I can change the circle of people that I can influence. Maybe as a leader of a company, it's my employees. Maybe as a parent, it's my kids. Or maybe as a community leader, it's the community that I'm engaged in. Obviously, we reach out to different levels of that. So what I'm suggesting is you may not be able to change uh, how people think, how everybody thinks and get them excited about learning new things. Who can you get excited about? What can you do instead of all the things you can't do so that you can take action? And frankly, I want us to go beyond trying to be successful, which I think most of us do, because success is all about you and your degrees and your accolades and your trophies and all the money you've made, et cetera. I would like us to look at how can you be more significant, because significance is about everyone else and the impact that you have on others. And I think that uh, if you really want to know what I'd love us to do, I would love us to become far more significant in our impact to those around us. And by the way, elevate that and reach out. Before you started this blog, your significance level was good, but with this blog is helping it be bigger. And by the way, I'm now asking you and everyone listening, because you're all smart executives, how can all of us, and I'm speaking to myself too, can we elevate the significance that we're having and make the bigger difference? Because frankly, the future doesn't happen. It, it's going to happen and it may not be so good unless you and I get involved, roll up our sleeves and become, act, become active shapers rather than passive receivers. Instead of I'll wait and see. Actually, you can see quite a bit. You don't have to wait. This is really thought provoking. This has been spectacular. I'm just sitting thinking, you know, part of the significance, we can help our, we can help our employees, we can help our teams uh, get ready for the future by getting trained in, uh, you know, and just be 
more open-minded and be better trained as knowledge workers and everything else. But it really, it really leaves me thinking about young children. Is our education system properly preparing young people for what lies ahead? I, I mean, I think that our education system is, is it's based on a 200-year-old model. It's military. It's, uh, it's, it's antiquated in a lot of ways. And, and I don't know how we change that, but we got a, we got a lot of legacy people in there that, that, that their livelihoods tied up in it. So all these issues really, uh, these are fascinating and complicated issues. Uh, and we no, need guys every, like you advising the government on things of what to do. If, well, first of all, if everything was perfect, you and I wouldn't be needed. None of us would be needed. Everything would be perfect. So when there are things like education and other things, which is practically everything, needs to be redefined and reinvented because it's all based on the way it used to be, not the way it is, much less the way it's about to become, right? And the pace of change is so fast that it's well, not keeping so up. Well, uh, well, that's why keeping up is a fool's game. What's the advantage of keeping up? You're still going to be keeping up with something. Right, you're always keeping up. you got to get ahead. Use hard trends to jump ahead with the confidence that certainty brings because if you don't, someone else will, and you'll still be trying to keep up. And that, listen, and that's the inside track. Dan, thanks for sharing uh, your your insights on profit on the inside, profit on the inside. It just it, it is so thought provoking. It's so fascinating, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for being my friend, my colleague, and uh, Thank really you. appreciate. Hey, can I give you a gift? I would love to give everyone a gift if I could. Absolutely, uh, go ahead. I'm going to give you something. Most people give digital gifts. I'm going to give you a hardcover gift. I believe in my anticipatory organization book so much that I'm going to give you a hardcover copy. Um, I'm going to tell you how to get it in a second. Uh, it'll be shipped right to you. You're going to have to pay the shipping, but you'll see it's such a small fee. You'll know I'm not making money on shipping. By the way, the reason I'm doing it is because your readership, your viewership are all executives. And I think they're going to get hooked on this book and they're going to recommend it to others. So I'm just gambling on that. I think it's a safe bet. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. We'll put, we'll put the information in the show notes so that it's Perfect. everywhere and then people could see it. So you'll send that to me and we'll make that happen. Good. Thank you. And thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, listen, Dan, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you join us. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.